You are now entering the Nintendo Power Zone. Now you're podcasting with power. Guys, we're going to get into Gen 5 of Nintendo's handheld consoles, which brings us to the Nintendo DS, and the year is 2004. Um, this console is uh, unique in the fact that um, we actually got it before the Japanese did. It was released in North America on uh, November 21st, and it was released in Japan December 2nd. So we didn't get it too much, you know, sooner before they did, but normally the consoles are always released in Japan first. It launched at $149.99, still 32-bit, um, but it was the clamshell model inspired by the Game & Watch with two screens, uh, the one at the top, and then the one at the bo- one at the bottom, which was a touchscreen. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember the marketing campaigns, but Nintendo really wanted people to understand that uh, you could really do a lot with the touchscreen um, when it came to gaming. So it came with a stylus, and Nintendo was advertising it as uh, touching is good. So dirty. Which, yeah. Um, Minor controversy about that ad campaign, but um, it's Nintendo, so. But it also had a built-in mic with uh, speech recognition, and um, it was actually, it could, it could um, register, it, like, the sensitivity of the sound that was coming into it, because there were many games, like, particularly in... Uh, Mario Party, where uh, one of the mini games you had to blow into the mic, and the harder that you blew into the mic, the the more that successful you would be in trying to win that mini game. So, um, and I remember because I I uh, I played that, um, you know, and I was blown into the DS, and <laughs> you know, but um, isn't that how so you I, also blew the balloons in Mario Kart? Yes, thank you for reminding me of that. That's like, and I didn't realize that because in in Mario Kart DS you could um, blow up the balloons using the controller, or you could blow up the balloons in battle mode. Blow up the balloons in that you had in battle mode by actually blowing into the mic, and if you did it right, um, it was actually faster, and you could blow up your balloons really fast and. Uh, but but it was a little bit harder in Mario Kart DS because you had to kind of you couldn't just blow really hard for that game. You kind of had to get it just right. But uh, um, it also had uh, support for wireless connectivity within about 65 feet. So it was kind of like a short range um, personal area network where uh, without the need to connect to an existing wireless network. DSs could connect to each other. Um, So that was really important because it allowed for multiplayer connectivity um, without having to go online. And you could do it anywhere. And it didn't, you know, it didn't matter where you were as long as you were within 65 feet of the person that you were playing with. But it did have Wi-Fi capabilities. You could go online and you could play against your friends online. Nice one, and I would uh, play against each other frequently in Mario Kart DS. And uh, I will say that, you know, for the first ever uh, console that Nintendo had that they could go online, they did a really good job. There was no lag in our games. Uh, It never crashed, and we never got booted. It was very stable. So, you know, all the problems that we've been having with Splatoon are pretty, you know, frustrating considering how great this was circa 2004 um 
it was it was pretty advanced. It was uh, so good that we would actually use it when you were living in London. We would have phone call. We I would call you on the DS like it was a phone when we by playing Pokemon. Yes, and uh, so in uh, Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, if you went into if you were trading with one of your friends online and you were in the trading room, the mic was activated and you could um, talk to the person that you were trading, which is a brilliant feature because really then it allows you to discuss the trade. But this, like I said, 2004, 2005 timeframe, it's before the iPhone was released. iPhone didn't come out until 2007. So we were using this basically to have long distance calls over Wi-Fi. Um, I mean, Skype was around, but you would have had to sit down at your computer to use it. I could take my DS and walk around the house with it like a phone. And it was like a free phone call. So it ended up being, I ended up using it for a lot more than just playing games. It was a pretty amazing um, handheld. Uh, it was backwards compatible with the uh, Game Boy Advance, um, and it had stereo speakers, um, which provided virtual surround sound, which was a first for Nintendo handhelds. Because um, if you wanted surround sound on the Game Boy, you actually had to plug in headphones in the headphone jack, um, and they would be surround sound for you know uh, to the headphones. But without the headphones. It was not, and so the Nintendo DS also had that, and then continued the trend of you know the uh, rechargeable lithium-ion battery, uh, and um, it uh, had download play, which allowed users to play multiplayer games with other DSs using only one game card, and that was an amazing feature too at the time because. I was kind of blown away that the, the company would not only was was were you capable of having, you know, a bunch of your friends join you in Mario Kart DS even if they if none of them had the game, um, just the fact that Nintendo would let um, you play the game without having it, you know, um, it was I was pretty surprised that they would they would uh, allow that feature but it was limited um you could only race as shy guy and the the you know the features were were limited if you didn't have the uh the actual game um and it had six to ten hours of battery life um which was pretty good um in 2006, Nintendo came out with the DS Lite. So the DS Lite launched at 129.99, which was pretty, you know, significantly cheaper than the DS had had launched. It was brighter, uh, slimmer, more lightweight, and it sold the most out of the DS family um, for Gen 5. I'm not including the 3DS and onward, uh, this was where they made most of their money because this, the DS Lite alone sold 93.86 million units, um, whereas the the total number all combined of DSs with the, the DS, DS Lite, and then the, the Nintendo DSi and DSi XL was 154 million units combined, um, which is Nintendo's best-selling, not only is it Nintendo's best-selling handheld console, it is the best-selling handheld console in video game history, and it is the second, the Nintendo DS is the second um, best-selling console, period, home or handheld, um, behind only the PlayStation 2. The PlayStation 2 sold 155 million units, and the DS 154. So it was only a million units shy of of uh, 
having that claim to being the number one best-selling console of all time. But uh, I mean, it was it was massive. It was a huge success for Nintendo. Um, now the uh, the DS Lite is the, is the one that I actually I first purchased. So I I didn't have a the the first model of the DS when it came out. The DS Fat. Yeah, so I had the nice, slim, pretty version. Um, the biggest uh, upgrade from the DS to the DS Lite, though, was literally the brightness. Um, the original DS, if you turn your phone settings down to the lowest brightness you can get it on, that's what it was like playing the Nintendo DS. The DS Lite was so much brighter, you could really appreciate the games and, and the uh, the graphics a lot more, and it had four backlit brightness levels, whereas the the original DS only had one, which was just on or off. Um, so it was, you know, adjustable as well. Um, and the DS Lite also is uh, capable of receiving Wi-Fi signals from the 3DS, which the original DS is not. Um, as far as the battery life, it wasn't quite as good as the original DS. Only five to eight hours on the brightest setting. But if you used it on the lowest setting of the brightness, you could actually get 15 to 19 hours, which is significantly better. Um, but, you know, most people are not going to play it on the lowest setting. So, um, you know, the original DS... Was, was getting most people about seven or eight hours of, of gameplay time. Um, I mean, for the, the DS Lite was was getting uh, that. Uh, the DSi came out in 2009, launching at 169.99. Had five brightness levels, so it was able to um, slightly improve the, uh, the brightness of the screen. It was slimmer um, than the... the uh, Nintendo DS Lite, and it was also it had slightly larger screens as well, but it wasn't backwards compatible anymore with the Game Boy Advance. They kind of pulled, well, you know, they kind of did what Apple did with the iPhone 7 bef before Apple did it. You know, Nintendo, they to make it slimmer, they removed the compatibility with the Game Boy Advance, which people were not happy about because a lot of people would have preferred that extra whatever millimeters it was to have the compatibility, especially since games like Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, you could, you know, upload, you could take your Pokemon from your your uh, Game Boy Advance game and, and put them in your uh, DS that way. So there were some features in games that you wouldn't be able to use anymore when the Nintendo DSi came out. Um... The big feature on the Nintendo DSi was that it had two digital cameras, um, but they were low resolution and they just didn't take very good pictures. It was uh, 0.3 megapixels. Um, it could connect online to the Nintendo DSi shop. Uh, and it had more RAM, so it was it had a faster CPU than the DS Lite. And, and this is where we started to get into Nintendo's current... Uh, interface for their um, the rest of their consoles, handheld or otherwise, because it, um, it the user interface changed to a slidable single row of icons, um, you know, it, which is a lot like what we have now for the 3DS and you know even even the uh, the Wii U. If you look at the gamepad, it's kind of like you know. A group of icons on it when you when you turn the system on. So um, the battery life, uh, or excuse me, the um, yeah the battery the battery life um, was even worse than the the light. You know, three or four hours on the brightest settings. So the battery life um, didn't improve with all of this, um, but it did have some DSi exclusive games. So if you wanted to play, you know, there were certain games that you had to have this system to play. Um, so it was it was like, you know, almost 
I guess it was similar to how the Game Boy Color upgraded from the Game Boy. Still the same generation, but, you know, if this was Generation 5, then I guess the um, DSi was kind of like a 5.5. And then finally in 2010, they released the DSi XL, um, and they improved the battery life on that up from three to four hours on the brightest setting to four to five hours. Um, but then, you know, of course, if you use it on the lowest settings, you could get a lot more than that. Uh, and it did have firmware on, on the DSi, such as DSi camera, DSi shop, PictoChat. Um, but, you know, the, the Gen 5 is, um, is interesting, not just because of how successful Nintendo was with, with this system, but because of their competition. Um, when the PlayStation Portable launched uh, at the end of 2004 in Japan, um, came out in 2005 in North America, it launched for $250, significantly more expensive than when the, the DS launched. Um, so, and, and the battery life also wasn't really that great. It was four to six hours, um, for gameplay, but when you compare that to the original, uh, DS, you know, the, the D, the original DS had six to 10 hours of battery life. So it wasn't as good, which is at first you think, okay, well, it's kind of following the trend of all of the, you know, Nintendo's competitors who failed in the past. More, it was, you know, much more advanced than the DS. The games looked better graphically. It was prettier, um, but it had a higher price point and the battery life wasn't as great. However, this ended up being one of the most successful handhelds of all time, surprisingly. So Nintendo actually had some competition, um, despite the fact that they were so successful with the, the DS. Um, the PlayStation Portable actually sold 82 million units worldwide, um, which is more than what the Game Boy Advance sold. Not by a lot, but about half a million more than what the Game Boy Advance sold. So, um, and it had some pretty good features too. Um, it had uh, the um, train of thought here. It had the uh, UMD or Universal Media Disc it, instead of using cartridges like the the DS, which was interesting because. Um, you know, they kind of bucked the trend of, of handhelds because, you know, prior to the PSP, handhelds always use cartridges. Um, and they, they did have a, uh, a wireless, uh, LAN network like the, the DS to where you could play, um, two to 16 players, uh, without being connected to the internet. Um, it had a web browser, which it didn't have at launch, but, um, it, the PSP did have a web browser. Um, although it had limited tab browsing, you could get up to three tabs on it and it often ran out of memory and it, it really, the, uh, the browser was kind of slow, which was kind of a problem with the system in general. It had poor load times and, uh, that was one of the complaints of a lot of people of the PSP. There were some games where you actually have to wait over two minutes for load time, which is an eternity, you know, when you're just sitting there trying to play a game. Um, and it had the game sharing feature as well. For some, some games where you were able to have two PSPs with one game cartridge or one game CD, I should say, and these CDs were, were like the GameCube CDs. They were smaller. They were like miniature CDs. Um, it had connectivity with the PS3. It had a, a digital comic reader app. Um, and it was, you know, it had a very successful launch. The, the launch was actually so successful that 
in in North America and Japan that they they had to push back the European launch for this. So they it sold two hundred thousand copies in the first day in Japan. Um, part of that was the fact that it it was such um, an advanced system. It was kind of like playing a PS2 uh, for a handheld. And it launched with strong titles as well, such as uh, Luminous, Ape Escape on the Loose, Need for Speed, Underground Rivals, Wipeout Pure, Meligear, Acid. Had some pretty um, big titles at launch. The Grand Theft Auto games on the PSP, man. Yes, and the Grand Theft Auto games, even though they didn't come out at launch, they, they ended up being you know, some of the best-selling games for the PSP. So I actually had a PSP. I, uh, I loved my PSP. Um, I didn't have very many games for it, but I, I believe the games I had were of quality. So I had both of the Grand Theft Auto games, uh, Vice City Stories and Liberty City Stories, which were continuations of Grand Theft Auto 3 and Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Uh, they were very good games. They full-fledged Grand Theft Auto games, and they were fun. Uh, my favorite game on this console was Final Fantasy VII uh, Crisis Core. Such a beautiful game, and man, it just goes to show you like how what the importance of Square is for you know as a third-party company because they really made a beautiful game in Crisis Core. Uh, I played Madden a lot on my PSP. I I loved my PSP. It was it was great. Um, back to the the UMDs for a minute. They actually released movies on the UMD format for a little while. So I uh, I had Spider Man when I bought my PSP. It came with Spider Man Two on UMD. So I would watch it. You know, Spider-Man 2 is one of my all-time favorite movies. I actually watch Spider-Man 2 on the go every now and then. How was the resolution? Decent, considering that the screen size was smaller than your typical cell phone screen. Yeah, um, that's one of the um, most popular features. Thank you for reminding me that you can, you can watch movies on your PSP. So it wasn't just a gaming system. You know, they had... You know, movies and uh, TV shows that came out in UMD format. Um, and you could listen to music as well uh, on it. So, and if you were just listening to uh, music with the screen turned off, you actually could get 8 to 11 hours. Um, but that said, if you were actually playing online, with the brightest screen setting, you were getting less than three hours. So it still had an issue with battery life, but one of the, the things that Sony did to kind of counter, counteract this, because they knew their battery life would be a problem, was that they had a removable battery. You could take the battery out of the PSP and replace it with a new one and then charge that one. So... That way, it was it was almost like carrying around, you know, a brick for your phone, like the 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 portable batteries that we have today. So it was a pretty good feature. Um, they eventually did release the PSP 2000, which um, uh, doubled the internal memory from 32 megabytes to 64 megabytes to improve the poor load times and uh, increase the web browser performance, which um, you know, before they did that, would frequently crash on people just because it it often would run out of memory. Um, and then, and then afterwards, they released the PSP 3000, also known as PSP Bright um, or PSP Slim and Light, and that was just improving the LCD screen with a in increased color range. One of the interesting things, though, that that Sony did during the uh, lifespan of the PSP was they released the PSP Go, which was kind of like a step backwards. It had an interesting design where the controller would slide out from underneath the screen. Um, like a Blackberry. Like a Blackberry. Thank you. Uh, it was much smaller and lighter than 
any of the previous models, hence the name PSP Go, because they tried to make it even more portable, and it had Bluetooth connectivity. Um, but it did not have a replaceable battery, and it had no UMD drive. Um, all of the games that that you it played for, for the PSP Go had to be downloaded from the PlayStation Store, um, which, uh, I mean, that's just, to me, that sounds like retarded that you can't even, you know, put in a, a game for your your system anymore. You gotta everything has to be digitally downloaded. The worst part about this is my boy Esaj also has a PSP Go. <clears throat> so I have the PSP two thousand and I also, and then I eventually got the three thousand. Esaj got the PSP Go and he was telling me that not all the games that came out previously for the PSP made it to the PSP Go store, which means there were titles that didn't get transitioned when they made a move to a completely digital version of the console. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it was definitely a step back for Sony and kind of a FU to the consumer. But, um, you know, that said, the PSP was still a really good handheld system and it was the first system to truly compete with the Nintendo handheld even though the Game Gear was successful in its own way it really never could um, match what the Game Boy was doing um, and I think the Game Gear was already dead by the time the Game Boy Color came out so you know the the PS and and the PSP it, it wasn't an easy task you know they it was competing against the greatest Nintendo handheld to date you know like I said 154 million units but the PSP held its own um, still sold 82 million units um, and it was definitely a worthy competitor during Gen five. The only other competition was the Gizmondo um, by Tiger Electronics. Came out in 2005, launched for $400 if you wanted the version without the smart ads, and $299 with, with ads. And it continued Tiger Electronics' legacy of having the shittiest handheld in every generation. <laughs> so... They not only had the shittiest handheld in Gen 3 and 4, they had the shittiest handheld in Gen 5 too. It only sold 25,000 units. It's considered the worst-selling handheld console in history. Um, only 8 out of the 14 games it had were released in the United States. It was a nightmare system. Um, the only interesting feature it had was uh, had tri-band GSM technology, making it... Uh, essentially a mobile phone handheld hybrid which you know uh nice one already kind of talked about the uh the engage yep. which was you know kind of similar to that but it was just i mean it's not even worthy of me talking any more about that um, before we move on before we move on i want to say a couple things first when it comes to the DS, I had every single iteration of the DS, from the Fat, the Light, the DSi, and the DSi XL. I had every iteration. And second, this is the first generation where we see Nintendo not completely crushing their competition into submission. Like, the PSP was successful. Um, and considering it launched at a higher price point, it was it was targeted. It the the, mar, the 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 demographic for this console was clearly at your your gamers who had played the PS One and the PS Two were starting to grow up, but still wanted to carry a portable like device. Like and even the games that came out for it were more mature. That's why we have a Grand Theft Auto game. Like PSP was a very successful system. I loved my PSP. The battery life's not so much, and some of the other functions that were available on the PSP, they weren't much. They weren't too much to speak about. Like the web browser, 
shitty. Even on the upgraded versions, shitty web browser. Uh, the comic reader was an interesting thing, but I never really used it. Um, it, it just wasn't the right format for it. The screen size, just not large enough to constitute trying to read anything on it. Uh, but it had the games. The games that I did get for this, I really did enjoy. Um, I played all the Final Fantasy re-releases that came out for it. Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core, uh, Madden. Uh, I played a couple of different Madden games. Uh, a, lot, a couple of shooter games came out on this thing. It was, it was literally a portable PS2 with Wi-Fi capabilities, and it was very good console. I enjoyed the PS, the PSP thoroughly. And the DS, man, the DS was was an awesome system in and of itself as well. The DS was such a good console. So many good games came out on this. Yes, um, they were both uh, great systems, and arguably, you could say it was probably, in a way, the best generation because it had two quality handheld consoles. Um, they were both successful, it, and you know, Sony, despite having a higher price point and you know, relatively poor battery life, they still managed to um, succeed. And I think part of that is because, like you were saying, they were targeting an older demographic, but also lithium-ion batteries. If, if those had been around during the Game Gear's time, the Game Gear probably would have put up a much better fight against the Game Boy because people wouldn't have had to spend so much money on AA batteries. And uh, you could if you could recharge it like you could with the, you know, the DS and the PSP, I think the Game Gear would have been a lot more successful so Sony definitely had the benefit of coming out um, in an era where we had rechargeable batteries. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a really good point. I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. If the if the Game Gear had that just, just that one little feature, it would have made a huge difference. I mean, the advancements in battery technology have really paved the way for you know the route that all these consoles have taken thus far starting from uh you know gen gen 3 on but guys we got one more generation to talk about and some pretty stiff competition in this generation so uh on february 26 2011 the 3ds was released and we really don't have to talk too much about this console. I mean, we're still kind of within the peak of of this console's, you know, lifespan. I mean, you know, we obviously we have stereoscopic 3D. We have a much brighter screen than we've ever had. Uh, we still have the touchscreen. You know, obviously now we finally got. You know, I don't know what I don't know what's necessary to call it, but we have analog sticks on the. Uh, on, on the on the hardware this this console it has a lot I mean and this console has internet functionality we have you know internet browsers we have Netflix Hulu YouTube uh, and we've we've had so we've had some really great games in this hardware's lifespan uh we got a Smash Brothers game on a portable console but I really think what we should be focusing on in this generation is the competition because the competition is stiff because when this generation launched the PlayStation Vita launched pretty much alongside the uh, the the 3DS so on December 17th 2011 you have the PS Vita and this this thing all the strides that Mario After Party said that Sony made when it came to the PSP I feel like they went backwards by going forwards. So the PSP brings us a lot of great functionality. Like you have touch pads, you have dual analog sticks. Oh, you have your D pads, obviously your face buttons. 
touchscreen capability, L and R buttons. This thing has it all. And yet the PS the PS Vita has only sold four million units thus far. Oh ac- actually the PS Vita has sold um thirteen million. Why we can't always trust our we gotta double check our sources. Thirteen million units. Yeah, it's it. But you know, you're right. It has not been that successful. Um, because if you compare that to the 3DS, the 3DS has sold about sixty-two million units. PS Vita, thirteen million units. It's not really um, giving the 3DS much of a, a run for its money. Well, it's apples and oranges. It's legit apples and oranges in, in this case. It, well, but the PSP definitely um, gave the, the DS a, a run for its money, whereas this is just, it's kind of, you know, it's successful in its own way, but really it's a disappointment compared to the PSP. Well, there are some cool features here, like remote play, uh, which basically lets you play your PlayStation 3 and your PlayStation 4 games on the handheld. Uh, you also have cross-buy where certain games, if you buy them on the PS3 or the PS4, you also get them digitally on your Vita. So cross-buy is a very cool feature, I, one that I wanted Nintendo to open themselves up to. Like if I buy a, you know a digital game you know, on my... Wii U, I should be able to play it on my 3DS because of the functionality. It, and this this really bothered me for Smash 4. For Smash 4, they're almost identical games. They're almost identical. Not quite identical, but they're as close to identical as they can possibly be. But we have to buy separate games, whereas, you know, com- you know conversely, PlayStation All-Stars, which is like Sony's version of Smash Brothers, is a cross-buy title. If you bought it for your PS3, you got to play it on your Vita it, with, as, with a cross, as a cross-buy title. Cool functionality there. There's a lot of cool things. And the PS Vita, you know, they wanted to bring full console-style games to the handheld market, which isn't that exactly what the Nintendo Switch is promising us? Full console games? So why have they not succeeded? It's they they stumbled. The price point was was really high out the gate. Uh, so the PS Vita has two models, uh, the you know, and there's the Wi-Fi only model, and then there's the the cellular model. So the the Wi-Fi model two forty nine, and the the three G model is two ninety nine, and the three G model has a service plan of 250 megabytes uh, for $14.99 or a 3 gigabyte plan for $30. Not cheap. Th- those plans are pretty expensive, but, you know, they're pretty cool features. But it's it's literally, it does too much, it costs too much, and what's, I mean, there's an elephant in the room. There's an elephant in the room that's affect, that affected both the Vita, and the 3DS when it comes to hardware sales. Smartphones. Yes. The Vita does so much of what smartphones already do with the exception of being an actual cell phone. Right. And that's what hurts the Vita more. It hurts the Vita more than it hurts the 3DS. Yeah, and it goes back to Nintendo's philosophy of, you know, if the games are good, it will sell. Games sell systems. Technology doesn't. Technology is there to help you enhance the experience. But if you don't have the games and the library, you're not gonna you're not gonna sell your um, console. And uh, you know. They statistics have shown that mobile gaming has started to eat into the handheld market um, a little bit, and so it makes it even more important to have quality games because, as we've discussed, you know, in previous episodes, 
the majority of mobile games out there really are shovelware. A lot of them are bite-sized gaming experiences, and the ones that are good are usually pay like you know the free to play, which is free such a stupid name because it's the biggest oxymoron ever. It should like, be called like free to start. Well, yeah, um, like for example, Hearthstone is a great game, but if you want to be competitive you actually have to spend money in that game because you have to get the expansion packs and there are cards in the expansion packs that you cannot get unless you purchase it. So Hearthstone will have you spending way more money than Pokemon Go um, if you start buying all that stuff. And uh, Pokemon Go, you know, it, it's one of the few free-to-play games that I have experienced where you really don't have to spend money to be successful it definitely helps um if you if you spend you know five bucks or ten bucks and you want to buy some you know more pokeballs or incubators um like that that is definitely going to help you in the game but you don't need to you really don't need to spend money for that game um it's mostly if you're just really hardcore uh but a lot of mobile gaming is like that mobile gaming is going to continue to cost you money um, you know with these free-to-play games and you know the the amount of quality in a mobile game it just people like mobile games because they're bite-sized that's one of the positive aspects about it is that you can play it while you are you know just sitting down for 10 or 15 minutes you know waiting for the you know the bus or you're waiting for your your um, flight at the airport. I mean, it's, it's got some, you know, that, that's what people like about it is the convenience, but, you know, mobile gaming, like you said, definitely has started to, uh, cannibalize the handheld market. You know, and another thing that's hurting the PSP in its later stages of, I'm sorry, PS Vita in its later stages of life is that Sony themselves no longer support the console. They stumbled out of the gate and now they they don't make games for it anymore. There, there are no first-party games coming out on the Vita. It's the Vita has a huge fan base, by the way. It, but it's like this fan base isn't getting the love that it it, it should be getting. And the fact that Sony's not supporting it hurts. But it, it really all comes back to mobile gaming really eating away at at, at this. And, you know, history has really kind of shown us that the handheld market can't support multiple consoles very, very well. So the fact that we're, you know, <clears throat> we're now in this era where every cell phone is a gaming system, it, it it's basically like having a three-console market. Um, and, it you know, let's just use this as a segue is that – Mobile gaming has become such an important, you know, factor in gaming as a whole that Nintendo actually has started to build a strategy around mobile gaming. We've seen it in 2016. We saw Nintendo release Mitomo this year, which it, it, it's really hard to kind of call Mitomo a game, but it it is a game. It is Nintendo's first attempt at making a mobile app. It you know it's. It's a good starter app, and, you know, it was honestly, say what you want about Mitomo, but it is technically a success for Nintendo. They, you know, 4 million people downloaded Mitomo, like, in the first month. That's a lot. And then, obviously, uh, Pokemon Go has also been a huge part in Nintendo's mobile strategy. Like, Nintendo is making moves to incorporate mobile gaming into its into into its strategy, they are making it part of their strategy to incorporate mobile gaming. Um, clearly, they purchased DNA last year so that they could really focus in this market because DNA was an already established mobile game developer, and Nintendo didn't have that knowledge, and they bought a company that did so that they could truly capitalize on that. And later on this year, we're going to get another game. Uh, from Nintendo's mobile strategy and Super Mario Run. Yes. So, and, sorry. Go ahead. Um, 
the Nintendo strategy has also proved that, you know, they they're they realize that they can sell more 3DSs if they come out with games for for you know mobile platform because since Pokemon Go has come out, sales of the 3DS have gone up because there is a greater interest in Pokemon now. So, you know, it's just like when Mario Run comes out, it's going to be successful. There's already 20 million people that are interested in it. Um, and it's probably going to renew interest in Mario games. So when the Switch comes out, we could see a similar, um, you know, benefit with that. Well, not just that. Like, I said it last week when we were when we did our show. One of the developers listed for the Nintendo Switch is, in fact, DNA, which potentially means that any game that comes out on a mobile device is going to be playable on the Nintendo Switch, which means that they're capitalizing even further on the Switch and mobile connectivity. With DNA developing for the Switch, I am I would not be surprised to see Mitomo, Animal Crossing, Fire Emblem, and Super Mario Run show up on the Switch and you know truly incorporate the, the cross compatibility between mobile and Nintendo's new hardware that's coming out. And that's another thing. Keep in mind if, if the Switch is already you know bridging the gap between mobile. I'm sorry, portable gaming and and console gaming. If they can also bridge the gap between portable, handheld, and mobile gaming, Nintendo will once again rule the 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 portable game you know sphere. That that is something that only they can capitalize on right now. Uh, and it's interesting to see that Sony hasn't announced a similar move. Like there are you know there are. There, there is an Uncharted game for mobile devices, but it, you know, it's not like, it's not like this. It's not like the console is going to potentially, you know, bridge the gap with, with the uh, the the mobile device. This is this is something that Nintendo is in a unique position to capitalize on, in a way that nobody else can. And. You know, since the uh, Switch was revealed, people have poo-pooed on it, you know, saying that, oh, it's just a, it's a tablet that you can play at home. Like, we already have those out there. Um, but it's one of those things that when you see somebody playing their Switch in the airport and you don't have one and you, you see how it works, you're going to realize that you want one um, because it's going to be great. And it's more than than just a tablet. Um, obviously, um, you know, we're, we don't know if it's even going to be a touchscreen. Um, and it's, you know, it, I mean, how many tablets do you know out there have uh, analog sticks and buttons? None. Just, just one, and now they're making the Switch with Nintendo. Yeah, so, um, you know, there you, there you go. The Nintendo Switch, the Nintendo does handhelds better than anybody, and they realize that, you know, handhelds have been keeping their company alive. The top of the top five best-selling Nintendo consoles, four of them are handhelds. Four. The only home console that is in their top five is the Wii. Now, the right now the the um, 3DS and the original NES are about almost exactly even in sales. But because the 3DS, um, Pokemon Sun and Moon hasn't even come out yet, and uh, we're still definitely getting a lot of big titles for it, it, it will eventually surpass the, uh, the NES. And so if you look at the top five systems that Nintendo has, it goes in order, Nintendo DS, the Game Boy and Game Boy Color, the Wii at number three, Game Boy Advance at number four, and the 3DS at number five. And remember, 
for for a console that has sold almost 62 million units, in the, uh, being the 3DS, people uh, poo-pooed that too when it came out. People talked all kinds of shit about the 3DS, saying, "Oh, it's it's a failure. It's not going to succeed." Like Nintendo, you know, they need they need to just abandon it, and it ended up being it had a slow start, but then it ended up being the fastest to get to five million. So, you know. People, I think, are are too hasty to kind of shoot Nintendo down. And when you look at their track record of handhelds and the fact that they decided to make the Switch a handheld and a, you know, a, a console, but the fact that it's also handheld, I mean, I just, I can see Nintendo crushing the competition because... People still want a deep and immersive experience in the games that they play. The mobile market, um, there is crossover in the demographics that the mobile market and the handheld market appeal to, but there are a, the mobile market has a lot of different demographics that, that play mobile games. Uh, especially older people who, you know, are in their 40s or 50s or 60s that have a phone that just want to play, you know, some mindless puzzle game or some Candy Crush game on their phone. Solitaire. Yeah, while they're, you know, killing time waiting for something. And, you know, you have the Nintendo Switch being marketed right now towards millennials. Now, Kimishima did say that when they start releasing more games for families, they will they will market those games specifically towards um, children because they're not forgetting about that. But Nintendo's smart. They realize they need to get an older demographic of hardcore gamers to keep um, their console, you know, successful. And so they're marketing the Switch towards millennials, and they're coming out with a handheld. Basically, I mean, yeah, it's it's handheld, you know, home console hybrid, but. The fact that it's a it's a handheld and it's going to have great games for it that give you an experience that you can only have on a Nintendo console. I mean, I can I can foresee this being, you know, just crushing the competition again. So, um, you know, and and I don't think it's even going to cannibalize on the 3DS's market because, like we we talked about in the last episode, the 3DS is cheaper and. Uh, it's really being marketed more towards children now, and parents would probably rather have, you know, their eight or nine-year-old kid running around with a 3DS in their hands than their Nintendo Switch, because Nintendo Switch is going to be a lot more expensive. Uh, so I don't even, you know, for for the foreseeable future, at least in 2017, I don't see the 3DS going anywhere. Um, we'll we'll see maybe when it gets to like 2018, 2019, what happens to it, but you know. The, uh, the Nintendo Switch is is going to be one hell of a system. I mean, uh, there are some concerns that I have about it, but um, battery life and screen size um, and how the hell they're, that we're going to play Splatoon if they don't have a, a touchpad. But, you know, nobody does handhelds better than Nintendo. And like I said, the Game Boy, which is their second best-selling handheld, has sold more than every single competitor that has ever been. So there you go. That combined is what I'm saying. Yeah. Guys, uh, you know, we, we've been planning this episode for months. This, we were supposed to do this episode back in March, and things just kept happening, and we kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. I'm glad that we're we're uh, really launching season two with this episode uh, for one reason and one reason alone, because now we know what the switch is, which is so key to where, I mean, this is it. This is, this is kind of it for Nintendo handhelds now um, with the switches hybrid form factor. We may never get another dedicated handheld from Nintendo ever again. The 3DS might be the last 
in a long line of very successful handhelds for Nintendo. Um, that's why I think that this episode coming out now is really important. Like, yeah, we pushed it back and we pushed it back, but it ended up being, you know, serendipitous for us to, to push this episode back uh, because it almost feels like doing this today, letting you know all about, you know, giving you the history and what these consoles were and telling you the competition that they faced in their eras. It's almost like we were eulogizing Nintendo handhelds. Well, Nintendo specific handhelds because we know that the Switch does have a handheld aspect to it. But it's important to note. It's it's so important to 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 talk about the history of Nintendo's handhelds and tie it to the Switch because we may never get another portable console exclusively portable console from Nintendo ever again. So I'm definitely glad that we're talking about it now versus back in March. Because if we had done this back in March, we're missing a key, key piece of Nintendo's handheld lineage in the Switch. So, yeah, man. I'm glad we're doing it now. Um, think about it, though. If, this is, if, this, if the 3DS is Nintendo's last dedicated portable console... Was it, in your opinion, was it the right console to go out on before the Switch? Like, like, is this the way that you want that console, you know, Nintendo's portable consoles to go out on? Is, is, a, is it a high note, in your opinion, or is it a low note? Well, the Wii U really tried to be that portable console. I mean, you couldn't take it with you if you, you know, left your house, but you could take it with you if you went to the bathroom and you could you know, um, play it just lying on your bed at night with the headphone jack in if, you know, you didn't want to disturb anyone. Um, so they were kind of already going in that direction with the Wii U, but I think that it, it definitely ends on a high note. The 3DS isn't the most successful handheld, but it is incredibly successful, and it's still selling units. So we don't know how, you know, how many it will sell in its lifetime yet. Um, and like I said, I really think that there will still be um, a market for it, at least for the first year of the Nintendo Switch's lifetime, um, because the price point and the demographic that, that plays the 3DS is going to be different than the one that they're trying to get for the Switch. So... Yeah, for me, it's definitely going out on a high note. And if you want to, to see what Nintendo is capable of when it comes to, you know, their portable consoles, you just got to look at their history to see um, where they're going with the Switch and why the Switch is going to be successful because the rest of the competition is going in a completely different direction. While Nintendo is trying to make a, a console that you can take anywhere to, you know, increase that like um, social aspect of being able to play games with people. Sony and uh, Microsoft are heading more towards virtual reality in a, solitary experience um, where you are, you know, wearing a headset and you're immersed in, in the world within, you know, that headset. And so whether or not virtual reality um, takes off still remains to be seen, but Nintendo's concept is a lot easier to sell, you know, to take a constant, to take a system with the power of a home console that you that still connects directly to your TV, but then just being able to pull it out of the dock and take it with you while you walk the dog is pretty amazing. And um, I am really looking forward to the Switch, and I I think it's 
it was good that we held off on this episode because it was very fitting to do it. Um, because you're right, I don't think Nintendo's going to come out with another um, handheld exclusive console ever again. Yeah, man. Uh, this is our eulogy. Uh, this is legit. Ended up being our eulogy for dedicated Nintendo handheld consoles. Uh, that being said, man, end of an era. End of an era because, you know, I started with a Game Boy when it comes to Nintendo handhelds. And I, you know, I got to play gaming watches when they were popular. Like, I started uh, with that. Uh, <clears throat> you know, one more thing. While we're... While we're kind of eulogizing Nintendo's handhelds, uh, I wanna I wanna give a shout out to Gunpei Yokoi. Uh, just a real quick one, Gunpei Yokoi. His uh his innovations. They they outlasted him. Like they really did. Like Gunpei Yokoi died in uh, 1997 in a car crash. Uh, well. He crashed his car, and then uh, when he was going outside to look at the damage to his vehicle, he was struck by an oncoming vehicle. Um, but the innovate, you know, the innovations that Gunpei Yokoi made, they outlasted him. Some of the innovations that that he brought to game to gaming, especially handheld gaming, they showed up later in Nintendo strategy. We talked about it when we talked about the DS and its clamshell model and its dual stack screens looking exactly like the Game & Watch. Um, it's it's interesting to note, to th just think about how long his innovations truly lasted and to know that we're finally going into a direction that may be completely Gunpei Yokoi free because his innovations lasted to the 3DS, and we're now finally moving into an era with the Switch, where Gunpei Yokoi's like, like his like his touch isn't anywhere to be seen on the Nintendo Switch. So, shout out to Gunpei Yokoi, may he rest in peace. Uh, shout out to all of Nintendo's handhelds that that have been here, you know, throughout my entire lifespan and. Truly looking forward to getting my hands on the Switch and, and seeing if it can continue the amazing trend that the Game Boy started back in 1989. Anything else to say, my brother? Nope. You said it all. <laughs> all right, guys. Before we let you go, and before I should throw out these social media links, I want to thank everybody who has been watching the stream with us. This has been an extraordinarily long episode, but we covered a lot of consoles tonight. Uh, so thank you all for watching. Thank you guys for commenting uh, in the chat. Uh, sorry we didn't have time to answer the chat. This is really kind of like our first online stream um, where we even noticed that we had a chat box. So thank you guys for commenting. want to shout you all out, but, you know, We've, we've gone on long enough, so just thank you so much for being here with us tonight because it's awesome. Uh, thank you guys for watching. Obviously, we're going to have the audio version up uh, coming soon for those people who didn't get to sit here and chill with us tonight. So where can you download these? Well, first, if you want to hit up myself or Mario After Party, you can hit us up on Twitter at Nice1983 and at Mario After Party. You can hit us up by email, thesplatzones at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash nice1983gamecollecting. Go ahead and check out the website, nice1983.wix.com slash gamecollecting. If you're a fan of the Nintendo Power Zone podcast, you can download us on iTunes. You can download us on Google Play Music, and you can stream us on Stitcher Radio. And if you're a fan of the live video versions, you can catch us live here on YouTube, youtube.com slash user slash the article, T-H-A-A-R-T-I-C-L-E. And if you love the music that we put into the audio version of the podcast, go ahead 
and check out GameChops.com or search GameChops on YouTube and you can find all the fantastic video game remixes that they have. All for free, all awesome. Go ahead and check them out. After party, you got anything left to say, man? As always, guys, stay fresh. Stay fresh. Deuces. Thank you.